Welcome to EnviroMinded, the podcast where we interview people who are making better happen in their industries, communities, and our world. My name is Adam Niederprum. I'm really excited for EnviroMinded episode four because we've always considered environment to mean not just the rainforest, but the spaces we create for each other. Today, we are interviewing someone who is an excellent builder of relationships, and he uses improv comedy to do it. Our guest is Asaf Ronan, who has been teaching and performing improv since 1990. Asaf is one of the leaders of the Institution Theater in Austin, Texas, and he's taught improv workshops in many companies, 28 states, Canada, the UK, and Norway. He's also the editor-in-chief of yesand.com, a website dedicated to improvisation. He's also the author of Directing Improv, Show the Way by Getting Out of the Way. We'll talk about how he created a career in comedy, but also improv's importance to human relationships, creativity, and how improv can drive innovation for businesses. Asaf will even provide a few quick exercises to use with your coworkers without getting them too embarrassed on a stage. Without further ado, let's get to it. Asaf Ronan. Adam. Greetings. Yes. <laughs> Let me start with uh, a question. Sure. To begin this interview. You've been either working, performing, or teaching improv since 1990. Yes. Roughly? Or exactly? Yeah, thereabouts. October 1990. Yeah. That's when I started. So... If you're familiar with improv, you know that every scene is different. Every show is different. Nothing can be repeated. Thank God. Right. Right. But how That's do you, the point. Right. How do you keep improv fresh for you, though? For myself as a performer? Yeah. Um, wow. It's this really zen place you have to get to where... If you're in the moment, you're divorcing yourself from making reference to the familiar. Things you've already done, things you've already said. Those things will still creep in, but in surprising ways. And so that's ultimately the feat of getting into that Zen place where thoughts kind of just pass through you. And you're not trying to go for certain ideas or certain agendas of making people laugh. I think it happens naturally because as a species, we're inherently funny to watch. Mm -hmm. Humans are just funny uh, in ways that they don't expect. Like, I just taught a class the other day, and it was an introductory class, and we had all the students introduce themselves with uh, giving themselves a name, adding an adjective to their name, and doing a gesture. And there was this woman her, whose name was Cindy, and she came up with Creative Cindy. But the gesture she gave was such a meh. It was this throwing her hands up. She didn't know what to yeah. do with her body while she was calling herself creative. Creative Cindy. And I had to stop and have her laugh with me about that. <laughs> Because, <laughs> and did she laugh when you pointed it out? Yeah, uh, yeah, we all got the yeah. chance to laugh, yeah. and I think that's yeah. the thing that the unexpected surprise leads to comedy, right? And when we surprise mm -hmm. ourselves, that's when we get to the best right. comedy right. that we can, and we, and we get to be in on that mm -hmm. comedy. That 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 reminds me of like one of the most important things I feel like to me when I'm connecting with people or in a workplace, especially, mm -hmm. is the need to be creative. And I work in an office. You've been in plenty of offices. Sure. You're lucky to, to not be in many offices. But yeah. um, 
office and creativity don't usually go along or different jobs are really segmented. Yes. And if they're if they are segmented, especially in an office or an advertising agency, creative, the creative mm-hmm. department is is always separate. Right. right. And there's this distance between you're creative, you're not creative. And it's nice to say everyone is creative, but how do you how do you actually bring it out in people, especially when they're freaked out about being on a stage? So the main thing is to remove judgment. We judge ourselves all the time. There's this exercise that I've done with large groups of people where I would have them all take in a deep breath and let it out with a sound. And everybody's fine with doing that. And then I have them take in a deep breath and let out a note with the breath. And immediately they start hesitating. Because once they think about a note, they think about harmonizing. Because we're all doing a note, we should probably harmonize. And no point do I tell them that. But we automatically jump to these obligations for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And these obligations are based on other people, right? And so a big part of what I do, and especially I've gone into corporate environments and done improv workshops to help with communication skills. And the main thing that I teach is play your side of the scene whatever this interaction is, play your side of it. You have no control over the other person, what they're expecting, what they're thinking about, what they know, what they don't know, but you know what's on your side of it, Mm -hmm. right? And expressing from that, and if it gives them permission to express from their side of the scene, and then before you know it, we've gotten to a much better collaboration as a result, as opposed to us each going through our own individual mental minefields for fear of, oh, I don't want to stumble upon this or, you know, say this thing if I shouldn't say it, et cetera, et cetera. And we have all these worries, most of which are unfounded. Mm-hmm. And I think the rest of them are not, do not have such ill consequences that we can't move forward from. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to get certain things out so we know where we stand and then build from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if we're both... Um, putting these ceilings on our own expression, we, we give ourselves less opportunity to actually collaborate with other people. And corporate uh, environments, especially something like marketing or advertising, you really need to, to ramp up the collaboration early on in conversations. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the Early on thing. in conversations or early on in relationships? Well, conversations, relationships, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. All, all one and the same for me. Yeah. Okay. I think any time I enter a conversation with someone, I'm entering a relationship. I'm not entering an intimacy with them, but I'm entering <laughs> right, a relationship. Right. Oh, that is a really nice way to think about it. Uh, that brings you to the, the idea of like how businesses can support the arts. Right. And you know, typically huge businesses, like I was looking up today, I just thought of jazz at Lincoln Center in New York. Mm-hmm. And... You know, um, Brooks Brothers and Coca-Cola are like the premier sponsors, right? So they appear on the program Mm -hmm. and they're probably in the building somewhere, Mm -hmm. small, you know, to keep it classy. Uh, But not a lot of businesses can do that, you know. Uh, But the typical model is give money to like a foundation or a really specific theater. Mm -hmm. And that's how you, quote unquote, support the arts. Do you think that'll change at any time in the future? Do you think there's anything more? There's this other level that we could get to? Or is it maybe not businesses, but individuals? 
It's so interesting because the arts is always about seeing what new thing stands out. And I think companies are always looking to attach themselves to what new thing stands out. And I don't think it needs to be a very established arts organization. It could be someone... There are people who've made silly... I mean, look at YouTube stars. There are YouTube stars. Yeah. Just the fact that they exist. That Just they exist, <laughs> yeah. right? They yeah. found... They, yeah. they created this platform mm-hmm. for themselves, mm-hmm. probably not with the idea that they were going to get millions of followers. I mean, and some of these folks have like tens of millions of followers. I don't... Mm-hmm. Are there mm-hmm. that many people around the world? I don't know. <laughs> but... They have all these people, and and there are corporate brands that are just kind of vying yeah, to, to, yeah. to get in bed with them yeah, about it. Yeah. So I think there are lots of, as technology continues to expand, so does various platforms where the individual can just create immediately mm-hmm. and possibly, if they, they really bring from them their true selves and speak... Uh, from their own individual voice, find a way to stand out mm. in the crowd. When you were young or growing up, what do you think there was about your upbringing that somehow led you to improvisation? And I don't mean in a career-type track way. I just mm-hmm. mean in the maybe the relationships you had or the, the things you were interested in because uh-huh. you have lived the grind of improvisation. 26 years now. For yeah. a while. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is not what people think of when they think of theater necessarily, right? Right. You know. Well, so, more and more they are. Mm-hmm. They're definitely rec- there's a lot more recognition of improvisation as a tool. I think, especially because in movies you hear improvisation a lot. You know, with Judd Apatow movies or things of that nature. Um, a lot more people are familiar with yes and. It's kind of become this corporate. It's it's added itself to the the corporate oh, vernacular yeah. Yeah. the idea of yes anding etc sure, et sure. there are lots of ted talks about mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and whatnot um but yeah back then back when i was a child yeah there, there was very little there was whose line is it anyway and that was about it mm-hmm. um i'll tell you what what contributed to my creativity was actually a lack of relationships i was on my own a lot mm-hmm. i was a latchkey child I was awkward, so I didn't have many friends. I would just walk home, let myself in. I would sit myself in front of the TV with a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch and, uh, you know, watch TV while I did homework for hours and hours and hours Mm -hmm. on end until other people showed up at home. And that's how I spent a lot of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I would also, so I would absorb a lot of media and I would see things and I think if you watch enough of them, you start to see patterns of things. And then when you see patterns, then you start creating on your own, right? I would read a lot of comic books and I would draw my own comic books. I would watch a lot of TV and I would come up with stories on my own, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it was that kind of that isolation that mm-hmm. made me want to create. Did somebody at some point at least say, eh, that's okay. <laughs> I mean... I imagine during this whole time you didn't get um, 
chastised for the creativity, or you got through no. that if you did. So you were at least allowed. You were allowed the space, even if somebody wasn't doting on you or, my or mother praising was, the work. Yeah, my mother was particularly supportive, and yeah. she was always thrilled. I mean, I, I wrote a lot. I was quite a prolific kid. I wrote a lot of poetry. I'm picturing you in my head at like age 14. Let's say, where are you at age 14? Where am I? Where am I? Yeah. I'm in uh, Flushing, Queens, New York. Okay. And I'm writing a lot of poetry. And I'm actually winning some regional competitions. Mm. Got a little money for it. Um, got published a few times awesome ages 14 to 16 thereabouts um and i'm i'm uh one of the editors of the the literary journal eureka uh, in our school uh things like that but once again not not much as far as friends i knew lots mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. i was very friendly with everyone but everyone was acquaintances mm-hmm. to me not many close friends. Um, so I had a lot of time to myself. Mm-hmm. Where's the untapped potential for improv of like where it needs to reach in society? I mean, should it be taught in schools or should it be instituted in the midst of other classes? Or I have a dream. I want to hear about this dream. That at some point I will manifest a pilot program of. Um. And that's instituting improv at the end of primary school and the beginning of secondary school Mm. to create that vocabulary that eases that transition. I don't know anyone. Let me know if you're the exception, but I doubt you are. I don't know anyone who enjoyed middle school Mm. and definitely did not enjoy that transition into middle school. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's horrible. And everything's stacked against you. There's no reason why you would enjoy it. You're an un... I've I've said it to... We work with middle schoolers a lot. And you're the most unformed human being. Right. In usually seventh grade. Right Right. in the middle of the middle school. Well, we... You know, we're developing our social skills in primary school. Right? Usually in attachment with each other. And then we're being plucked out of that, being thrown into a completely different system, right? Of now every class you have to go to a different place and you have to figure that system Mm -hmm, out. mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not to mention different hallways, different teachers, different people, different everything. Mm -hmm. You're plucked out of your comfort zone, thrown into another um, uh, completely different environment. With people who have had three to four years, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. head start on you and use that against you. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. why we form yeah. cliques and we target the newer people. You know, it, that's fostered in that program. And I've done improv with kids and I've, al- I've always reveled in seeing kids that would normally have nothing to do with each other mm-hmm. getting together and playing with each other. Right. And I think instituting that, bringing that vocabulary in at that at the end of primary school will help ease that transition, especially if there's another program there in uh, middle school to Mm -hmm. receive them to Mm -hmm. kind of build on that where we create a world of collaborating with each other instead of targeting each other. 
So yeah. that's my dream. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I think it would affect uh, recidivism, uh, you know, a lot less absentees. Uh, I've seen it improve, um, edu- uh, you know, uh, educational abilities, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. cognizance and comprehension yeah. and yeah. all of those things, those tools that will help in other aspects of school, mm-hmm. as well as helping them with their social skills. Yeah, yeah. You heard of social and emotional learning? Yes. Right. So this like huge recent fundamental shift in almost all of education. That doesn't mean it's there yet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's based on this research. Many different researchers, of course, have contributed to it. But this guy, Dr. James Heckman, mm-hmm. at the University of Chicago, is an economist, but he studies people, right? Like what makes people quote-unquote successful and things like that started one of the first long-term studies of looking at a group of um, kids in North Carolina and following them for 40 years so um, and a lot of people are familiar with some of these studies by like the marshmallow test right the kids who are able to sit in a at a table with a marshmallow. Have you heard about this? Yeah, and if right. they don't eat the marshmallow, they get a second marshmallow. Yes, if they can like... wait five minutes, and these are usually really little kids, preschoolers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they can wait five minutes, they will double that marshmallow, right? And, they, and then they're allowed to eat it. But um, some don't, and they can't handle it, and they uh, they sniff it, and they roll it around, and they're, they're near their mouth, but they're not eating it. They're controlling themselves. Uh, it's not easy for a three-year-old. Uh, of course not. But they followed them years later, and the kids that that couldn't hold back and had to eat the, the marshmallow have way higher rates of, of dropping out of school, imprisonment, mm. right, lower incomes, all that, like a kind of across the board. It's kind of amazing. So... That's one example of the study. So is impulse control the impulse control factor direct, in all those things? Yes, yes. Um, and that toughing it out, you know, mm-hmm. and looking looking ahead. Um, heck, now, I think about it, and I'm, like, very pragmatic, and it's like, yeah. I would if I were that kid, well, if I were this brain in the kid, I don't know if the three-year-old version <laughs> yeah, of me, yeah. but I think possibly. I, was, I think I was very pragmatic as a child as mm-hmm. well, but it's like, I just take the marshmallow, set it aside, do mm-hmm. something else for five minutes. Right. Right? It's the kids <laughs> that are actively focused on not eating the marshmallow for five minutes that fail. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, well, no, just put it aside. Yeah. And what can you devote your five minutes to? <laughs> but they make it really tough, in all fairness of to the three-year-old. Right? It's in yeah. an empty room and an empty table. Right. It's nothing but you and a marshmallow. Staring at, each other, <laughs> staring at each other down. But anyway, getting Sounds back to... Like purgatory. You and a marshmallow. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. But that gets into the, these soft skills, which I don't know if it was coined by Dr. James Heckman, but he was the one that kind of showed and proved through the data that soft skills like eye contact, shaking hands even, listening, the ability to take criticism... Mm-hmm. and not react defensively, these are skills that make people really successful in life. And I don't mean successful as far as just money, although that's definitely one of their features. But it's also, you know, not never been in jail, dropped out, or didn't drop oh. out of school, right? So um, schools and education are slowly seeing the value to training people to be in good relationships, and like we were talking about before, not mm-hmm. intimately also. You know, just those everyday relationships really matter. To connect. Yeah, to connect. Mm. And that's where I think improv has 
it's it's it infiltrates you know a lot of other worlds yeah because improv is all about connecting in the moment to each other yeah right if you're giving a recommendation to uh let's say a boss a leader of a department in a in an office type job and they wanted to start off tomorrow in a different way with everybody they worked with let's say everybody can fit in a room Mm-hmm. You know, and they've got 15 minutes. Usually everybody just goes to their desk, right? right? Talks to, you know, two or three people or nobody, depending on your personality or your routine. But if you want to connect just a little bit more deeply in those first 15 minutes of the day, how would you recommend doing it? Wow, that's 15 uh, minutes. That's yeah. hard. You want 20? Like, what? Like, j- and you're saying just in the smallest way? Yeah. God, that's hard. I mean, there's two different directions that we can go. We can either just create an environment of play. And there are a number of small games, easy games that are easy to do. Um, like blind alphabet, you know, let's mm-hmm. all get in a circle and close our eyes and try to get through the alphabet one letter at a time. And if oh, right. any two people say the same letter, kids love that exercise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling corporate people would as well. And there are like hundreds of little games like that that can be done that just creates a environment of play. But then there's also the more direct, let's, let's hit it head on, of, okay, everybody, here's some post-its. On each one, I want you to write a genuine worry you have, and we're going to post them all on the wall mm. and start grouping them together. And let's all see how we all have the same worries. Yeah, yeah. Right? And if we all have the same worries, then we have more power over that worry. Right? If we unite in mm-hmm. recognition of that and embrace that, then we start finding ways to change that environment. Mm-hmm. Right, um, so those are two completely different directions to go. Uh, part of working in a similar routine each day is uh, these these relationships that you you create without kind of creating anything. Right, if you right. end up not talking to that certain person or knowing mm-hmm. much about them, mm-hmm. it can be a year later like that, you know. Yeah. And then you don't, and you're like, well, you, you run into them in a in a different situation, or you have a different conversation. It's like. Oh my God, it's like his whole world opened up. Right. You know, and all it took was either a conversation or a difficult question or yeah. or one person going over the other or that, you know, 15-minute exercise. Yeah. What do, ultimately, what are we shielding ourselves from? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the thing about improv and play. It, And that's why improv is, being, is such a good tool in, in corporate worlds and other things like ideation because it breeds innovation and I think relationships need innovation just like any Mm -hmm. other structure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the world what are those dream projects if there is another one that you'd like to see happen budget's not an issue oh thank god um so right now uh I I recently wrapped a show called Immigrants the Musical which was an improvised Hamilton style musical Featuring a cast of immigrants and people of color telling their personal stories and letting that inform an improv narrative. And it gets really into, it like goes for the jugular Mm -hmm. as far as addressing um, 
microaggressions, addressing the the problems of uh, assimilation, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. through this personal lens. And the run was very successful, and we did talkbacks after, which were also just yeah. great to, to hear from audience members of seeing reflection of themselves and their own personal story. We had a very diverse audience uh, talking to us about their own experiences, as was inspired by the show they just saw. And so that's something I'm hoping to tour with, mm-hmm. uh, take into schools. Uh, somebody at one of the talkbacks suggested, you know what, we, we have these quote-unquote diversity days at our office, and they're never anywhere near as fulfilling as what you guys just did. Mm-hmm. And so finding a way to bring that into the corporate world yeah. to kind of yeah. create a vocabulary by which we can have these much-needed conversations mm-hmm. that need to happen to help facilitate, not to give answers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but as to like, oh, well, now racism's gone because we performed. No, yeah. it's not going to be like that, but yeah. helping to facilitate those conversations. Yeah. And I think part of it, and this is something we developed as part of uh, the show Immigrants, was the way we learned to better have those conversations was, was to really embrace that we were going to fail at a lot of the conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the audience really appreciated that aspect there were times Mm. in the show where the performers would pause the scene step forward and ask a question to help them in that scene because sometimes it's like oh i'm trying to play your culture but i don't know that much about your culture i only know up to a certain point and i don't want to you know end up saying the wrong thing and then being you know, saying something racist or saying something mm-hmm. stereotypical. Mm-hmm. And the audience really appreciated whenever we would stop and then do that and have the conversation from the audience and then step back in. And I think that's the thing that keeps us from talking with strangers, engaging strangers, is fear of the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. We're always preparing ourselves for the worst case scenario. And it's like, it's just a conversation. What's really, yeah, what, yeah. what bad yeah. thing is going to happen? <laughs> well, tell us where we can get more information on the institution, the corporate workshops, taking classes as a yeah. individual, and what other exciting things are, are happening there in the future. The institutiontheater.com has information about all our upcoming classes. We teach classes in improv, uh, making movies, stand-up, sometimes uh, sketch writing, things like that, as well as uh, shows regularly. We have some storytelling shows, some stand-up shows, uh, some sketch shows, including some political satire sketch shows that are coming up in September, Over the Ledge. It's about local politics. Um, Gosh, we're still developing the programming. We just learned that we were going to be able to extend the stay at our space, so... Mm -hmm. We're Congrats. a little behind. That's huge, though. Yeah. yeah. So we're a little behind in the programming that we would have normally started mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, then I also have my own website, yesand.com, where I have a blog uh, focused on improv, and it links to other people's blogs and podcasts about improv. So if you're interested in that, if you're a newbie and you want to see a find a portal into lots of different resources about improv that's a place to nice go. Seth Ronan thanks for stopping by yay <laughs> that's it for Environminded episode 4 with Asaf Ronan as he mentioned you can find out more about the Institution Theater 
including their corporate workshop programs at theinstitutiontheater.com. Asaf's book on directing improv is Directing Improv, Show the Way by Getting Out of the Way, and it's available on Amazon. We record Environminded at Enviromedia, an Austin, Texas-based agency dedicated to positive change in sustainability, business, health, and the environment. You can find more episodes of Environminded wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Adam Niederprum. Please visit enviromedia.com for more info about our agency. And as always, come and see us in beautiful Austin, Texas. <laughs>